Girlfriends, episode number 44. Count your blessings. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends. Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad you're spending a little more time with me here this week. How are you? How was your weekend? Here it was freezing and wet, but that did not stop us from spending most of it outdoors. because of flag football. We had it both days this weekend and Saturday. Honestly, I mean, flag football is one of those sports like soccer. Years ago, we did a brief affair with soccer. Our kids never really got into it. And I was glad to give that sport up because I was astonished that they never, ever cancel it because of weather. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on. (laughs) With baseball, at least if there's a full-on downpour, you're rained out, you know. But not so with soccer and not so with flag football. And there is nothing quite like a cold, wet New England rain like in the fall. It is just bone chilling. So that's what we were doing on Saturday, which um, the boys had fun, but they were soaked. And, you know, I I realized, you know, we're talking about counting your blessings. <laughs> and I really needed to do that. I needed to count my blessings as I'm standing out there. You know, glad I have an umbrella. Glad I have a hat. So grateful for gloves. You know, <laughs> so grateful for the car when we finally got back into it. Um, but uh, they had a good weekend, and it was. It, you know, it, one thing about kids sports is it does make me go outdoors at times when I wouldn't. And you know, science proves that being outdoors is, is a mood booster. It changes your mood. So. It didn't feel like I was getting in a better mood as I stood in that cold downpour. And, you know, I was on the sidelines under an umbrella and those poor kids were out of the field with, you know, layers of sweatshirts on. Just, I mean, I'm not kidding you. This was not a drizzle. There were times when I couldn't believe how hard it was raining and they're playing football. So it was a a fun, um, wet weekend. And um, I also had the opportunity to go to confession out of town because where they were playing was in a town, um, you know, about 45 minutes from here. And I wanted to go to confession and I thought, well, I'm probably not going to be able to because we're going to be doing football. But then I realized there was a parish right about 10 minutes from the field and they had confession at three o'clock. So I had the chance to do that. And I don't know about you, but I love to be able to go to confession in a place that's not my own town with a new priest. Um, Not because of any, you know, particular experience I'm expecting to have with a new priest, but I like that anonymity factor. And even though I I ended up going face to face with this priest, because 
well, okay, this is a whole separate story, but I ended up, it's not the way I prefer going to confession. I like the screen. I like to be able to just focus on being a hundred percent honest with myself. I don't want any of those social things, you know, embarrassment, maybe uncomfortableness to have me even be tempted to hold anything back. I just don't want that distraction. And, uh, but it is a great humility builder to do face to face. And some people really like that connection. That's not, I'm not there for a personal connection with the priest. I'm there for Jesus. And so doing behind the screen is usually the way I prefer. But this priest, after I waited in line for a while, he, he came out of the confessional to like greet me on my way in and guide me to sit into the chairs with him face to face. So I wasn't going to be like, uh, no, we'd already met at that point anyway. So, um, he was he was such a super nice nice guy. Like I said, not the way I prefer to go to confession, but super nice priest. And he asked me to pray for him, so I have been praying for him. And anyway, I wanted to say that that's it's a nice opportunity. If ever you're out of town, and I do this sometimes when I'm traveling for work or on a speaking engagement, I have the opportunity sometimes when there's like a, a women's group that invites me to speak that part of the day they offer confession. And I try to get in that line myself because, first of all, it's it's hard to fit it into your routine um, on a week-by-week basis, even in, you know, in your own home hometown. But like I said, it's it feels like a very freeing opportunity to just really meet Jesus in that sacrament and also be reminded of the universality of the church that I'm always struck by that when I attend mass or receive any sacraments outside of my own little Catholic bubble here where I live that the church is all over the world and you can get these sacraments all over the world and this is, you know, part of the gift of what Jesus left us here on earth. So that's uh, what I did this weekend. And also, I'm excited to tell you about a new project that I'm working on. I am designing a retreat for women that's based on my newest book called You're Worth It, um, which is, as I've shared in the past, a book which is all about encouraging women to have a deeper, closer, more real connection with Jesus, personal relationship with Jesus. You know, we use that phrase, personal relationship with Jesus, and it almost doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, I want it to be real. I want it to be real for you. I want it to be real for for women everywhere because it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing if you have that intimate relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. So along those lines and with that goal in mind, I've been working on a You're Worth It retreat, which is based on the book. It doesn't require that everybody there have the book or anything. And I, I'm not sure what I'm doing with this yet. Um, I'm designing the retreat and, um, I'm, I'm hopeful to, you know, pitch it to some parishes or some dioceses and some women's groups. If you happen to be in an area where you might be looking for a women's retreat, what, the way I'm designing it is for uh, one day, not even a day, an afternoon, so that it would be a total of like four to five hours. Because to me, that's really doable inside of, diocese, many people inside of a parish could possibly take advantage of that on a Saturday afternoon or even on um, a weekday evening or uh, on a Sunday morning or whatever it is that, that works that I feel like this is this is a needed space inside of the church, this kind of a retreat for women, because, you know, overnight ones are great. You know, if you can go on a three-day retreat or even just, in, you know, one night overnight, that's great, but it requires a level of commitment and planning ahead that I think makes it not happen as often as maybe it should. And so what I'm putting together is just a very doable retreat for women where, you know, you could spend some afternoon, a few hours, and 
come away with a deeper understanding of your relationship with Jesus. So I'm prayerfully making my way through the, the design of that before I start to offer it anywhere. But if it's something you think you might be interested in bringing to your parish or bringing to your women's group, or um, if you want to share information about it, send me a note and uh, I'll be happy to give you some of the basic information that I have right now. I'm, I'm hoping to have it ready um, within the next month or so. I'm working on it, you know, in my off hours because this is my own work and it's kind of hard to find those off hours sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's a new project that I wanted to share with you because you guys are my buds here on this podcast. The people who listen here are so special to me because when I hear from you, I'm always, always I come away with the thought, they get it. <laughs> you know, whenever I get feedback from people who listen to the podcast, I know who you are. I know what you're about because um, we have certain basic things in common. People who listen to Girlfriends and enjoy it and subscribe. I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for the support that you offer me. And speaking of that support, I had another opportunity um, at the end of last week to speak with listener Sarah, who is my awesome new friend. She uh, is a supporter of Girlfriends. She helps bring Girlfriends to you, supports the production of it through Patreon. And she supports it at a level that earned her a bonus, a benefit of a Skype call. Um, with me. Yay. So <laughs> she and I got to talk at the end of last week. And I just loved hearing about her and her family and just, you know, sharing about things that all of us care about, all of us women, the kinds of things we talk about here on the podcast. I'm so grateful for the opportunities to kind of connect one-on-one -on -one in that way. So that is um, one benefit that you can get um, from a, a certain level of giving on Patreon. Other ones, even, you know, lesser levels can earn you the opportunity for participation in a Google Hangout with me and some other listeners uh, once a month. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, you can go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends and find out how to do that. You know, you don't even have to give at that level, though. You know, you can support this podcast and give me that that all-important encouragement to continue doing the podcast for as little as a dollar per episode, that it just is so meaningful and so valuable to me. I really appreciate it when people make that sacrifice, make that effort to just let me know that you're enjoying the show, that you, you value what I'm doing here, that it's impacting your life in a positive way, and you want to give back that value in some way. So Patreon is an excellent way to do that. I'm so grateful for the people who have signed up, um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll consider doing it too. So again, the place where you can check out that and find out all the different benefits that you could qualify for is Patreon. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash girlfriends. Thanks so much for thinking about that. So we're talking about gratitude, counting your blessings, which is such a corny phrase. It's such a cliche. Yeah, what does it mean? You know, I think it's important for us to talk about counting our blessings and remind each other the, of the importance of gratitude because even outside of our faith, of course, our faith tells us we need to be thankful, right? And we need to appreciate um, the, the good things that God gives us. But there's a science behind it as well. There's a whole science behind gratitude and counting your blessings and the fact that people who make it a habit to think about positive things, to be grateful, to look for the good inside of situations even though it's an exercise that maybe doesn't come naturally to you. Some of us are more curmudgeons than others, and I know it's a, it's a struggle, it's a trial. But the people who make that effort on a regular basis are happier people, healthier people, more productive people. They find more joy in their relationships and in their work. 
it's scientific. <laughs> it's the truth. And you know it. I know it from my own personal experience. The times when you choose to focus on the negative, when you notice, you know, instead of counting your blessings, count every little thing that's wrong and focus on it down to the last detail, uh, you're miserable. That's not happy. That's not fun. And even though it takes maybe going outside of yourself, it takes a little extra effort to look for the positive, especially inside of a negative situation. The benefits and the payoffs are so worth it that you come away remembering how blessed you are and looking for those positive things is an exercise I find that just turns a switch in your brain where it goes from negative to positive and you're looking for that positive no matter how challenging it might be in your current circumstances, you know. So let's talk about that, some ways to count your blessings. As corny as it is, it's something that's important and we need to remind ourselves and each other to do it. So the first way I want to ask you this week to consider counting your blessings is to say it, say it out loud, verbalize it. Verbalize your thanks, verbalize your gratitude. And this might be as simple as inside of your home, inside of your family. Um, Does your husband do something for you, like bring you coffee or um, do the laundry or (laughs) whatever? I don't want to make people jealous by mentioning things their husband never, ever does. But your husband does something for you, even if it's just going out the door to work every day. Say thank you. Say thank you for something that he does. Maybe it's uh, starting your car in the morning or clearing the leaves off the lawn or whatever chore, you know, we all do things every day that we take for granted and other people in our family take for granted. But look for something that someone in your family does. It might be something that one of your children does or, you know, uh, verbalize thanks to one of your children or a coworker or a friend for something about not necessarily that they do, but something about the way that they are, something you appreciate about their personality, something that you find is a, a very good character trait about them that you're grateful for. We don't do this enough. And I think it is so incredibly powerful inside of our personal relationships because, oh, sorry, I'm I'm hearing the dogs. Um, yeah, our terror of a terrier is downstairs uh, freaking out right now. It's early in the morning and I think he's going to wake everybody up. But anyway, um, on with the podcast. Um, so I'm talking about verbalizing things that maybe you don't think to verbalize on a regular basis, but it's so affirming to people and so encouraging to people if you point out the goodness in them especially with our children. This is an important thing. I think that an important role and responsibility that we have as parents to point out the good that's in our children. We have such power. You know, I I think sometimes our, our tendency is to focus on the negative. Of course, it's our job to correct our children. Of course, it's our job to point out the things that they're doing wrong and to help them correct those things. But it's even more important, I think, especially in the context of being critical, to point out the good things about our kids, you know, just the goodness about them. And um, this is something my husband, Dan, is so good at. I'm working on it. I mean, I'm a verbal person, obviously, right? I'm a writer and speaker and this is, you know, words are my thing. But with my own kids, sometimes I find that um, I hesitate because I don't want to get all emotional. And like, I can barely speak the sentence of, you know, what I really appreciate about one of my kids without turning into a big blubbery mess. But my husband has the gift of that um, masculine approach to emotions, which is he's in control of them, weird thing. And um, he's, he's able to talk to our kids. And it's something I really, I really value. And I love about what he does, and the way that he parents and I really admire it. And I, I look to emulate it myself. But just 
you know, out of the blue, just when you, when you do notice something or when you do notice something you're, you're appreciative of or grateful for in um, some, a trait that your child has, speak it, say it, however simply you do, you know, just be like, I, I noticed you, you did X, Y, or Z. I'm really, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful. I'm so proud of you for um, how generous you are with your friends or I, I'm, I'm, I noticed how hard you worked on your your homework with that assignment last night that was hard for you. And I'm so grateful to have a child who puts that much effort into his academics or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, We all have good things about us. And you know what happens, and you know this, I know because um, I've experienced it myself, that when someone points out even these small things that are good about us, even the small efforts that we're making, when someone notices those and affirms them, you're just so bolstered in them and you're never going to stop doing that thing. Like it really just encourages you that, oh, somebody noticed this about me and it becomes a part of your identity. It becomes a part of how you identify yourself. So not only will you get the benefit of thinking about the positive if you're pointing out your blessings in this verbal way, um, but also the people that you're affirming will get the the positive benefits of you verbalizing your thanks, your gratefulness for who they are and for what they do. It might even be somebody that you don't even really know personally. Maybe there's, um, you know, somebody at a, a store that you frequent who's, you know, kind to you and um, or always has a, a bright smile, even on a dreary day or something, you know, just pointing that out saying, you know what, you always make me happy because you always have a kind word to say and or you're always so attentive when, you know, you're, you're bagging my groceries or whatever it is. People, you know, a thousand people People serve us every day. So being grateful for that and verbalizing it, I think, goes a long way, not only toward adjusting our attitudes toward the positive and focusing on the positive, but other people too, it's infectious. Both directions are infectious. You can go around poisoning the world with your negative attitude, or you can turn it around and really um, count and then verbalize what your blessings are. Um, the next way I want to talk about of counting your blessings that I want to encourage you to do, and this is a step further than the talking about it, is to put it in writing. This has all the same benefits of the first way that I talked about, which is verbalizing even more powerfully so. So some people keep a gratitude journal. For me, that's not, I mean, I've tried. I'm not good about it. Um, I don't know. I've tried it even with apps on my phone, and I'm just not good about being regular about it. And um, so it that's not a habit that I've successfully cultivated in my life, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try again. But there are people who swear by their gratitude journals. There are people who do it every day. Start your morning by focusing on, like, pick, don't make it so complicated that you're not going to want to do it. But, you know, pick three things that you want to write down that you're grateful for. But I think even more effective is at the end of your day to think back over your day. And we've talked about this when you're doing an examination of conscience, when we were talking about making a prayer part of, you know, your day in a natural way, that this is one way you can do it is by reflecting on your day at the end of each day that, um, and, and focusing on what you're grateful for, even the small things. I think it becomes less likely that we're going to take those small things for granted if we're pointing them out in writing, in our own journals. Um, but you might also want to encourage and affirm another person by putting it in writing in a letter. Oh my gosh. I once wrote a letter to, I think it was part of a project that I had to do, but I wrote a letter to a teacher who had made a difference in my life. And honestly, it made such a huge difference in this person's life to get that letter from me. He, you know, was so overwhelmed by 
you know, so touched by it and so encouraged by it that it's such a powerful thing. So um, if you have the time to do that, or if you can make the time to write a letter to somebody that you're grateful for in your past, somebody who's made a difference for you, even someone inside of your family, maybe a grandma, maybe an aunt, maybe, a, you know, your own parent or a sibling, you know, it doesn't have to be a big long thing, but you could just write a little note and pop it in the mail. How much more meaningful is that nowadays when nobody gets snail mail anymore? Certainly not the personal kind. That would be really, really just, uh, you know, such a blessing to that person. You counting that blessing of them in your lives and then putting it in writing. Um, you also might just text somebody. Like say you're sitting in your house or at your desk and you you are reminding yourself to be grateful. Something pops into your mind about someone you know, you know, whether it's a friend or somebody in your family. Send them a little text, letting them know like how grateful you are for them, even if it's just in a very broad sense that I'm so grateful for your presence in my life, your your friendship means so much, you know, that's going to make you feel good and it's going to make them feel good and it's going to really strengthen your friendship, your relationship with that person, whoever they are. So verbalize it, put it in writing. And then the third way is I... I want to encourage you to remind yourself to be grateful. This is the thing that we all need. We can remind each other, which is what I'm doing here in this podcast. I am reminding you to be grateful and to count your blessings. Um, But you might leave a note for yourself somewhere. I know some people use those cute little signs, you know, about whatever. It might have a little phrase that reminds you of something um, to be grateful for, like food and family and friends or whatever it is. You might have those in your house to remind you, but you might leave a sticky note on the bathroom mirror um, of, to remind you of something, maybe put a quotation there that reminds you to be grateful or reminds you to focus on your blessings. Um, so you can do it that way. Um, some people, I know, I know there are apps for this. I cannot recommend any, but if you know of one, let me know, you know, send me some feedback and I'll share it with the people here. Um, also you can set an alarm. You can set an alarm on your phone. I know somebody who does this, uh, not necessarily to count her blessings, but you could set an alarm that reminds you and it will, this is the good part. It will remind you in the middle of something else. You know, you'll be right in the middle of something and you could challenge yourself like every day when this random alarm goes off, like you might set it for like 1036 AM or whatever, sometime when you're not positive what you're going to be doing or what you might be involved in. And just, you know, in that moment where you're interrupted, do a little exercise of look for something in your current circumstances, what you're currently involved in, what you're doing, who you're interacting with to be grateful for and, you know, give thanks for that particular blessing. Um, and, you know, so using technology in that way, but then just reminding each other, I find is so helpful. And um, our family does this in our family prayer time at the end of the day where uh, we'll we'll do some formal prayers. This is how the kids memorize their their prayers. The official prayers of the church um, is by practicing them together. But then um, my my husband Dan will have the kids, you know, often go go around and um, you can do this at the dinner table too. It doesn't have to be at family prayer time. And give give thanks to God for one thing, and then ask God for one thing. And um, I find this is such a great exercise because it gives us a little a little snapshot of what's going on in each of our kids' worlds. But it's also very helpful to me because it causes me to reflect on my day a little bit, to um, reflect on my circumstances, the life events, things that are going on. What am I grateful for? What do I, what do I especially want to thank God for right now? And so having that reminder as part of your daily routine is important. 
Um, and the last thing I want to mention for practicing the counting of your blessings is to consciously look for the good. Now, we talked about this in general terms, but very specifically, I want to encourage you to inside of negative circumstances, when something negative is going on, when your default mode is to very understandably start to grumble, start to complain, start to focus on the negative things, switch that in your mind. Make that a trigger to look for good things. I know it takes practice and I know it's hard. And at first it probably will feel forced and stupid, but the more you do it, and I can promise you this because (laughs) I've been working on this myself and I've experienced how it becomes more of a habit. Uh, I'll give you an example where I was horribly failing at this was just this weekend, actually um, in the middle of flag football, I had dropped some kids off on um, Sunday and I had just enough time to get to the grocery store and, you know, we were out of every Everything and I've got the week coming and I planned my meals and I just wanted to get the stuff, you know. And so I had just enough time to make that shopping trip. And so I may, I was making the shopping run. And I mean, can I just tell you how much I hate the deli at supermarkets? I hate the deli. It's like the most inefficient thing in the world, the most inefficient system in the world. I can think of 10,000 better ways to run this operation and get people their sliced meats and cheeses in a more efficient way, in a more pleasant way than this whole take a number and stand in this stupid line. And they only have like two people working and one of them is training. And I I find the whole thing incredibly annoying. But I needed to get some lunch meat for sandwiches for school and for work for the coming week. And um, so there I am holding my number dutifully waiting in line. And it was taking so long. And then by the time the lady finally came to my turn, it was the person who was training. And, you know, this is the other part of it. I get it. Because if I were working that job, I would become so bored that I wouldn't listen to people either. But this is like without fail, every deli line in every grocery store in the country, the person behind the counter doesn't actually register what you're saying. <laughs> they ask you like six times, which one was it? How how much? Like a, a half pound or a whole pound? And I, I was I was on the verge. Like, first of all, I felt like I was running out of time. So that's always the worst. When you feel like you're late, you kind of turn into a jerk. At least I do. Just get so impatient and so grumpy and so easily annoyed. So I had that going on. But then it was like, seriously? Like, how many different times do I need to tell you, like, which kind of turkey breast that I want, and that I want a full pound of it? Like, please, you know? <laughs> and to, to me, and, you know, meanwhile, the, the whole thing is that I I find the, the concept of the deli and the way that it works so annoying, because it's so inefficient. <laughs> and I know this is stupid, and I'm laughing as I'm telling you this, because it is so dumb that I get this annoyed about it. But anyway, I found myself in the middle of that moment, like, tempted to be a jerk. And now let me tell you, being a jerk for me does not involve like griping at people or even actively complaining. I mean, I very rarely do that in those situations. But being a jerk is like not smiling at the person or even, you know, just in nonverbal ways, letting them know that you're annoyed or you're impatient. And um, I found myself doing that with this, you know, this poor woman who's working behind the counter. And and then I, I did find myself kind of jolted and reminded, and it's probably my guardian angel, like, hey, you're being a jerk. Like, seriously? Like, this person's just trying to do her job. 
and you're yeah this is how the deli works and you're the one who decided you needed lunch meat this week you know um so it, it's important to remind yourself of that and then I very actively in that moment forced myself because I was feeling annoyed you have to force yourself to focus on the positive the you know how, how much of a brat am I being where, you know, I'm I'm able to shop in this grocery store with this, uh, you know, amazing selection of so many different foods and all healthy and can afford to buy it for my family and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. There are just so many blessings there to count that I was ignoring and taking for granted because I wanted to focus on the negative and be angry and impatient inside of that, you know, ridiculous situation. So, I mean, that happens to us a thousand times a day, right? I mean, maybe you love the deli line, but there are things that annoy you. I know that. So when you find yourself in that, just kind of train yourself in a way to um, turn that into an opportunity, a reminder to you, a built-in reminder. Like when I'm feeling this way, that needs to be a trigger to look for the positive, look for the blessings in my life. Okay, so I'm going way over time here because I've overshared, but I really think this is an important topic, talking about counting your blessings and being grateful inside of your everyday life for the gifts that God gives every single one of us. So hopefully these little reminders and ideas have helped you to maybe be inspired to be more grateful this week, maybe be inspired to make gratitude and counting your blessings a regular part of your day. You might have some great ideas though, and I would love to hear from you about what you do that helps you remember to count your blessings in what ways have you failed at this or have you been successful at this what lessons have you learned about gratitude by practicing counting your blessings inside of your home inside of your family inside of your work you can send me an email to give me your feedback at danielle at daniellebean.com but you all know that i love voicemail best and i would love to hear from you in voicemail you can go to daniellebean.com and click that leave voice feedback tab which will take you to SpeakPipe, which is a super easy way you just get 90 seconds though um, but you don't need any special equipment you can just record a message that I will get um, a voice message that I can share on a future episode you can connect with me on Voxer which is a fun app where you can leave voice messages in a super simple way if you get that app on your phone to connect with me on Voxer go to daniellebean.com in the show notes for this episode or any of the episodes and there's a link there to connect to my account and leave me a Voxer message Or you can just make a recording on your phone and email it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. I would love to hear from you. And even more importantly, I would love to add your voice to a future Girlfriends podcast. Hey, Girlfriends, who are we talking to this week? It's time for an interview. Hey, everybody. I am so happy to be welcoming a special guest and friend to Girlfriends here today. Letitia Velasquez is joining us. Letitia is the mom of three daughters, Gabriella, 23, Isabella, 19, and Christina, who's 14, who has Down syndrome. Letitia is author of A Special Mother is Born and From Hub to the Heart with Andy Lavallee and co-founder of Keep Infants with Down Syndrome. Hi, Letitia. Welcome to Girlfriends. I'm so glad you're here today. Great to be here, Danielle. I have known you for a long time online. Right. You're one of those bloggers who goes way back, right? Right, right. Yeah. Ten so, years now. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I always feel so old when I hear how old <laughs> blogs are. But um, so, you know, I've been watching your work online for so long now, and you're such a champion for the pro-life movement, for um, the the rights of, of 
parents of kids of families that are dealing with special needs. Maybe you can just share with our listeners a little bit about your background, where you come from and what really moves you. Well, I was born and raised on Long Island. Um, I was a teacher for Mm -hmm. many years and a home educator. So I would work part-time in a community college and home educate my children. And I was educating my two oldest when Christina came along in 2002, right before uh, the tragedy of Mm 9-11. And um, I was surprised, of course, as most people are to have a child with Down syndrome. But um, I saw it as a unique call. um, And I when when I wrote A Special Mother is Born in the introduction, they say, uh, like Mother Teresa had a beautiful uh, vocation to teach uh, young Indian women history, I believe it was, mm-hmm. in India, in Calcutta. But then God called her to go a level deeper. You know, he and retreat, he appeared to her and he told her, I want you to go to the streets, to the poorest of the poor. And in some ways in our society, uh, children with disabilities are the poorest of the poor because before birth, um, there's a high rate of abortion. When prenatal testing is done, um, it's between 75 and 90 percent when mothers find out because they're afraid. They don't know what the future holds and they don't think they can handle it. And let's face it, you know, none of us receive that news with great joy initially. It's always like, oh, my gosh, am I up to this? Right. But fortunately, uh, you know, being a mother of two before and homeschooling, I knew that there's other things that I thought that I couldn't do. And God brought me through. Mm-hmm. So um, um, I knew with him at my side I could do it. And um, I had doubts, again, because my personality is not the type you normally look at and say, oh, look what a holy person she is and how patient she is. It was not my personality <laughs> type. I'm a little bit more impetuous. And I would see those mothers at church with a, a son with Down syndrome around 40, and they'd be, you know, so solitiously walking them back for communion. And I'd say, oh, that's not me. And then God sort of told me, well, you know, she's had 40 years to become that person. Right. So uh, 14 years ago, I could say that he's done a lot with me and there's a lot more room for improvement. Mm-hmm. He and Christina, the Lord and Christina have worked great things in me. And I'm very grateful wow. for the opportunity to be her mom and to meet these other amazing moms and dads of special children with special needs all over the country. It's been a real blessing. That's what inspired me to finally start writing. I, I always felt called to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And I finally felt like I had something to say that was very important. Yeah, you These sure children's did. lives are beautiful. Yeah. They're beautiful and, and they're meaningful. And you can do this, parents. You can do this. You know, it's not, it's not, it's overwhelming at times, but there's so much help out there and so much support. Right. Oh, such an important message, especially today in this world of easy convenience with regard to medical care, convenience in quotation marks, of course. Right. Um, You know, but really, I think it's so important that someone like you who has experienced that kind of a diagnosis with with a young infant and kind of gone through that that metamorphosis as a mom, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that you can speak to other moms who might be in that place right now because – you are so right that the decisions that that women make with regard to children with disabilities before birth are really based out of fear, and we make bad decisions when they're based on fear. It's fear and lack of support. Mm-hmm. Um, I told my doctors I was 39. I knew the risks. I said, "Don't even give me prenatal testing because I know I know there's no solution to Down syndrome before birth. There's nothing right. that can be done, and it's just going to make me worry. It turns out I had a spiritual insight halfway through my pregnancy that Christina had Down syndrome, and I felt like the Lord was telling me at Mass one day, um, I want you to receive this child as a gift from my hand. 
when you received me. And I went to communion and I bawled and I bargained with God, just uh, bring my husband along for the ride because mm -hmm. it's harder on men. They don't carry the baby. Well, let me tell you, there's quite a bit of bonding <laughs> there. And I, I, I happen to know I'm not her favorite and daddy is. But, uh, <laughs> She's a daddy's okay. girl, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, She'll miss me when I'm gone and ask for me, but... She lights up like a Christmas tree when Daddy comes in. So uh, God uh, honored my uh, request, and he's been with me every, every day since. Beautiful, beautiful story. <clears throat> now, can you share your the, um, the URL for your blog in case people want to go check that out and read more about your life with Christina and the others? You can just look up Cause of Cause of Our Joy. Cause of Our Joy. Okay. And I'll, on I'll Google, make sure it'll be to... one of the top links. Mm -hmm. okay. It's at Blogspot. Mm -hmm. Super. All right. I'll put a link in the show notes as well Thank so you. people can easily get there. Okay. Well, great. I'm so glad you're here and sharing with us today, Leticia. So let's move on to the questions that I ask everyone who comes on Girlfriends. We're going to start with a triumph. I love hearing about women's triumphs. You know, one thing, Leticia, as an aside before I ask you this question is sure. I love the fact that... It, through this question, women are forced on girlfriends to talk <laughs> about triumphs in their lives because you know what? We don't do that enough. So I'm really just looking forward to hearing what, what you're proud of, what, what moment you really felt like you, you shined and accomplished something. So why don't you share with us a little bit about a time when you really felt like you triumphed? Well, I had a hard time picking one. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go briefly into one and then an another. Obviously, sure. when my oldest, I homeschooled for, um, I guess, 15 years now. Mm -hmm. So when my oldest daughter graduated Franciscan University um, as a nurse, I was tremendously proud. Gabriella graduated two years ago as Wonderful. an RN. And that was amazing because I finally said, I'm done. Not that I homeschooled her through college, but I certainly rooted her, you know, I certainly rooted her on, yes. but um, all the way up, almost all the way up to the end. Um, the last two years, she she took at a community college for the math and science, but we had done um, 12 years of homeschooling and it was just an amazing experience and I loved it. Mm -hmm. But that sense that, hey, this really works. It like, actually worked. This, you know? It worked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember teaching her to read, and here she is reading things I don't understand. You know? That's wonderful. <laughs> so that was amazing. And, of course, publishing A Special Mother is Born back in 2011. Mm -hmm. Again, I did it. I can't believe it. I, after three years, I finally published this book, mm -hmm. and um, it's been touching lives. And that to me, that's all that, that I did it for, is to, to give women and, and men somebody to come alongside them when they felt like no one else understood. It's 33 Catholic parents sharing their journey with wow. a special needs child, not all Down syndrome. There's different diagnoses. The important thread is that, you know, what God has brought us to, he'll bring us through. And, um, and the, some of these stories are far more courageous than I am. They're putting up with, you know, doctors and doctors and operations, nothing like what we've encountered, but um, sure. they inspire me. And that was a great triumph to be able to get that published. Oh, that's wonderful. And I love that you bring those stories to light in that way. It's such an amazing book and so inspiring in that way. Just hearing just the, the stories, the beautiful stories of these people and their, their faithful witness through what are very challenging times. But there's really just a thread of hope that really shines through when you read those stories all at once. Thank you. So yeah, A Special Mother is Born. And I love that title too, because it really is a birth, isn't it? It is. It is, like I said, a vocation within a vocation. Right. You're, you're born as when your first child is born, but when you have a special needs child, there's a total rebirth. And every one of those parents encountered that same thing, the fear, the denial, um, and then at one point there was um, an enlightening that, you know, this is your call. Right. And, and I will be with you through it. And um, sometimes there's a private moment with a baby, a newborn baby. Sometimes it was in church. Sometimes it was through somebody else. But there's always this uh, sort of epiphany where the parent accepts this call, embraces it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then the graces really flow. 
you know, so it's, it's, you know, if you are in that situation, don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid. We've all been there. We've all felt inadequate. Right. Totally inadequate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to think about Moses when when God was calling him and how he's like, you got the wrong guy, you know, because I think. I tried to convince God of that too. It didn't work. (laughs) We we forget sometimes that it's not us. God's not counting on our talents. He's not counting on our strength. Good thing. (laughs) Yes. Good thing. Certainly not my patience and my perseverance, (laughs) which he has grown through Christina tremendously. And, you know, that's how you grow things. They don't come down from heaven in a basket. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they, come through experience and day by day, you know, blood, sweat and tears and getting it wrong many times, right? Losing your temper and making the wrong decision. And, um, you know, not understanding my daughter had arthritis, for example, for a year, Mm -hmm. we were thinking she had sprained her ankle. We brought it to all kinds of experts at the best hospitals and nobody could figure out. Then my daughter, the nurse said to one of the specialists, do you think she could have psoriatic arthritis? And his eyebrows shot up and I'm like, aha. Uh-huh. So we finally got it right. I mean, who thinks of a 12-year-old as having arthritis? Right. But, um, and now we're treating it and she's feeling much better. So, um, yeah, you know, I felt a little inadequate when we didn't figure it out, but neither did the doctor. So Right, right. And, and we muddle on together and uh, now my daughter's doing much better. That's great. Yeah, and it's so important because it's hard for us in the moment and in those, especially those challenging moments in, in parenting to have that kind of broad perspective that, you know, th- see things the way that God does, which is huge. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. Well, that's why you got to be in moment. touch with him. And, and mm-hmm. he gives you that perspective. When you remember to pray and take that time, even if you have a hectic day, he gives you that perspective that, you know, this is, this is where I'm working here. Right. And this is how it fits into the grand plan. And don't focus on whatever little uh, troubles of the day, you know, and that's sort of the theme for, some of my other answers, as you'll see. Okay. All right. Well, let's move mm-hmm. on. Speaking of those other answers, yeah. I know you're prepared to tell <clears throat> us about a mistake that you once made, yeah. Tisha. <laughs> I can't wait oh. to hear. And what did you learn from that mistake? It was it was an email mistake. Um, <laughs> I was working those are the on worst. a right. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to delete them after we've heard a lot of people having those kind of mistakes lately. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I was working with somebody on a project. And um, we had an editor and we had a three-way email. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to make it a two-way email and complain about the person not doing her share of the work. Well, guess what? (laughs) Reply all is not a good choice. Yeah. And she was offended. It was my true feelings, but um, I didn't want her to hear it. Right. And she left the project. And um, I should have told her directly Mm -hmm. instead of trying to say to the editor, about her. Mm-hmm. So I've learned from that. Um, don't say things about people behind their back. You don't want them to hear. Good, good lesson to have learned. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, yeah. not everybody's had a reply all uh, disaster <laughs> story, but many of us have. And, yep. um, you know, I, I know I've had texting uh, fiascos okay. <laughs> that really weren't disastrous, but in the moment you're just like, Oh my gosh, I never would have said that, you know? Right. And, it, right. And, you know, and that's sort of important to keep in mind. Like, don't say that then, you know? <laughs> like, or, or find a way to say it that's less direct and, and right. more gentle. I mean, it might have been something that was important to say, but not the way, obviously, not the way I said it. And mm-hmm. she might have had a bad reaction and, and gone off the project anyway. Right. But at least she didn't discover, she wouldn't have discovered it being said about her. That was, that's hurtful too. And right. I, and I, yeah, I went to confession about that. I was really sorry about that. Understandably so. And I mm-hmm. mean, I think that everybody has experiences like that, especially we women, we get ourselves in trouble with communication all the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that your insight at the beginning of that is is correct that you should have gone to her, you know, that give, give, yeah. give the person the benefit of that and also you know 
you say things differently than when you're yeah, going to be oh, speaking sure. directly to the person. You'll be a little gentler. You'll be a little mm-hmm. more accommodating of their feelings and right. a little less trying to frame it as, you know, righteous yourself. Um, yeah, right. But, but it's a really good reminder for all of us, whether you're emailing or not. I mean, sometimes it's just complaining to the wrong person that um, mm-hmm. I'm always telling my mm-hmm. kids this. It's so easy for me, you know, with my kids that they'll come and they'll be like this about this friend, this about that teacher, this about whatever. And I'm like, you're talking to the wrong person. You know, I can offer you advice for how to approach that pro- right. problem with that person, but you need to be speaking to them directly. But that I think we, we avoid that mostly because, well, many of us just avoid conflict altogether. Right. Um, right. But it, it's uncomfortable. And sure is. But yeah. part of being a grown up, right? Stinks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Some of us were told to always be nice um, as women mm-hmm. and um, never say anything. And then um, sometimes these things need to be said. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're in a leadership position, as you know, as an editor, um, mm-hmm. you have to tell people the painful truth sometimes. Right. And, um, it's hard. You're not always going to get a good reaction, but that doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to say. Right. You just have to be considerate of their feelings and direct and not indirect and behind their back. Yeah, you're so right that that's something that we women, I think, have a lot of difficulty with. And maybe Mm -hmm. it is part of that growing up, being taught always to be nice, always to be accommodating, not to, you know, get in anybody's face. But it doesn't have to be like that. And that's something that I've discovered. Um, My husband really helps me along in that way, because he's got that Mm -hmm. male perspective. And, you know, I'll be like, I know, exactly. (laughs) And it really helps your problem. (laughs) Well, a lot of times it just saying it is the appropriate thing to do, especially in a professional relationship. And I would be so uncomfortable comfortable but I did get to that place where I could just say things and then just sit in that uncomfortable silence and be like okay holy spirit yeah. <laughs> please please work in this space here um but it really it's an important lesson for all of us especially women to hear about being direct being honest and um you know just directly addressing a problem it doesn't have to be mean you're being a jerk you're just in fact some some of the most mm-hmm. loving things mm-hmm. people have done for me are to give me honest <laughs> feedback and give me um an honest opinion or an honest reaction to something in love you know yes couched well in that love. same editor later on in the project told me something i didn't want to hear and it hurt and mm-hmm. she was absolutely right about my book mm-hmm. and um Something needed to be taken out that was a little egocentric. And um, thank God she had me. I listened to her and she yeah. was direct. Yeah. God bless good editors. I love them. Oh, it's <laughs> wonderful. And, and it hasn't destroyed our friendship. And we went on. But I can't say that it wasn't like a little bit of a kick in the stomach initially. Yeah, a little Because that's our baby. That's our project. We're sure. very proud of it. And and we can get egotistical about it. And um, she let me know that how it sounded. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my pride was showing. And... Um, I'm glad. I'm glad she spared me that indignity. <laughs> Long term goals, right? Yeah, right. oh for sure. Oh gosh, well that's great. I love that. That's a great lesson for all of us that we can learn from your mm-hmm. painful mistake, Letitia. <laughs> well, let's hope that I learned it. <laughs> that's right. Well, we're all learning as we go here. All right. Well, before we get to your lightning round, I think we can fit in one more question. Can you share with us, Letitia? What's the best advice you've ever received? Who gave it to you, and how do you try to use it? Well, I've gotten it from several sources. I guess God figures, you know, to get through to me, he's, he's got to uh, he's got to undermine the underline the point. Um, live in the moment, mm-hmm. and it sounds very, very trite, and you hear it all over the place. But my mother had a picture of the three of us when we were children, black and white, of course, in those days, showing my age, mm-hmm. and it had um, um, uh, one of these wall signs that said, "These are the good old days." And I thought, "Oh, how trite, la la la." Mm-hmm. But now that I think about it, when I was rolling my eyes as a teenager at that 
wall hanging in our hallway, the center of our home. Those were what now I look back on with all this reminiscence and fondness. And I said, but if you don't appreciate those days when they're happening, it's a shame. You've lost that. Mm-hmm. And, and as Christ says, all we have is the moment. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. You know, let's just concern yourself with today and enjoy it, Be- especially if you're a mom of young children and you can get overwhelmed and you feel like you don't own an outfit without a stain on it or your hair never looks right. When am I ever going to get out of this toddler stage? Um, when you're in my stage and the house is emptying out, you look back fondly. Right. So I tried to keep that and I knew I would. So my mother told me that. And guess who else tells me that? My daughter, Christina. She oh. doesn't say it with words, but she's the kind that when you're trying to rush off to a doctor's appointment, will crouch down at a bug on the sidewalk and admire the ladybug and play with the ladybug or pick a <laughs> daffodil. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. We got to go. And right. there's always a tyranny of the urgent. Even though I moved out to the country in Connecticut to get away from the urgent, it has a way of finding you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And um, she just has that moment of uh, the present moment, enjoyment of the present moment, and to be really present to somebody mm-hmm. and not be on your phone or not be thinking about the next thing you have to do. I struggle with that at mass. Oh, sure. <clears throat> a lot. <clears throat> sure. And I mean, people talk about how can I get more out of mass? Well, you need, you're there to connect with your creator, you know? So right. how about focus there? <laughs> That's right. And I used to be very anxious in adoration. I could only stay for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Christina is never the first one to leave. It's always me. Mm-hmm. And I say, if she can sit there, I can sit there. And you know what? After a while, then our Lord draws you in and you let those. I always put my burdens in front of him. I don't ignore them. Mm-hmm. I have real needs and real petitions. But then it becomes him filling me up and and just relating to God in a silent way. That is, I mean, that just carries you through the rest of the week. It's unbelievable. But you have to sit there and let it happen and not be um, you know, thinking about the next event that you have to do with the next uh, your to-do list and it's very hard to put it down it is hard but you know i find that the more you practice it the the more it becomes a habit to um focus on god in that way especially inside of mm-hmm. um silent prayer start small if you've never done mm-hmm. it and you're in a panic about sitting there for an hour spend 10 minutes and right. <laughs> just keep reining your brain back in as many times as you need to and um, but I think you're so right that this is this is what we, this is what focuses our attention on what's important. Whether you're in adoration and, and wanting to focus on on Jesus's presence in the Eucharist, or if you're just inside of a relationship with people you know and love in your life, that are you looking them in the eye? Are you really having a conversation, or are you distracted by a hundred different things? I mean, right. we all have a hundred different things going on at any given moment, but just that call to be brought back. Um, as you were describing Christina and her focus on the moment, I, I was thinking of someone that I know that I've known for many years, and I've always admired his gift for being truly present to anybody he's speaking to, whether it, it was me in a professional relationship or to a waitress in a restaurant. He just focuses on the person and just sees them in that way that I think Jesus must have when he was walking the earth, you know, that just loving and, and recognizing the dignity and the u- unique beauty of each human being and, and wanting to connect with them and seeing the beauty of that. I, you know, and I used to pray like, Oh, I, I wish I had that gift. You know, I wish I could, mm-hmm. I could be like that. Well, any one of us can have that gift. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not mm-hmm. something that God's, like you said, going to send down in a basket. <laughs> no, you, you practice it right. and, and you can see people like Mother Teresa, Pope Francis have it. Mm-hmm. Pope John Paul had it where they're, com- they're in the middle of St. Peter's Square or Calcutta, and that person in front of them, no matter how humble, is the, the object of their entire attention, as if time didn't exist. And who could be busier? 
Right. Then those, you know, very holy, but very involved people. And so if they can spend the time or John Paul spent hours in adoration every day. Sure. That's what that was the secret of his power. So if we if we could spend that time with God and with our family and our loved ones completely wrapped up in them, give them the time, then we will have no regrets. When my mother passed away, I spent a lot of time with her mm-hmm. as she was sick. And I, I didn't have regrets of, oh, I wish I had done this. Right. You know, it was painful to watch someone you love suffer. Of course. But you won't have any regrets when that person is no longer with you. You look forward to seeing them in the next life. But in the meantime, you don't feel like, oh, I wish I had, you know, gone down to visit her. I wish I had spent time. No, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel at peace. And um, it's that sense of peace that my daughter has, yeah. who, you know, who whose focus is on what she's doing at the moment with her whole heart. And she lives the good old days every single day. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, so, so she she's a great uh, teacher for our entire family. Uh, Rick yeah. Santorum has a daughter with trisomy 18 and mm-hmm. he, Bella. And he says she's a teacher of the heart. Oh, yeah. And uh, Christina certainly. So he's written for my book as well. He wrote a, a short essay when she turned two. Oh, wonderful. About oh. how she made his uh, it all the suffering of having a child. And she was very, very sick uh, mm-hmm. and, and almost died several times. How the love that child gives you makes all the suffering worthwhile. Let's face it, none of us know what's in store. Mm-hmm. Our child could have an accident. Our parents can suffer dementia. A loved one could have a heart attack, stroke. You, you don't know what's in the future. Right. So you might as well learn to love with your whole heart because that's why we're on earth, right? I mean, to learn to love. Absolutely. You know, all these other busy work things, yeah, they're important, but not as important as that. You're right. Most important is loving. So right. And and I love especially how you share, Letitia, not just like in some glib, trite way about, um, you know, the parents of children with special needs or children who have special needs and the ways in which they teach us to love, but also in a way that really recognizes the hardship that goes along with that. That Oh, yeah. It's, it's equally part of the experience, that suffering and, and the grit. Well, I, I, look, I look at people I admire, like Mother Angelica, and I see how much suffering was in her life. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, I was watching an old show last night, and she said, it was my mother's suffering as a divorced woman who was abandoned. Um, she cried every day mm-hmm. out of love for the man who had abandoned her. She said, I owe my vocation to that. Wow. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing thing to recognize the, the value of suffering in that way. And that's the, I think, advantage that Catholics have and why I wrote my book specifically about Catholics. Mm-hmm. Our theology is so rich in that we understand, the, as St. Paul said, I make up in my sufferings what's missing in the suffering of Christ. Right. Not that, of course, our Lord is complete, but he wants us to join him and join our sufferings. And um, we're afraid of suffering in this culture. We want to take an anesthesia for everything. <laughs> yes, sign right? me There's up. a pill for everything. <laughs> and and there's a, a suffering that y- you need to go through because it deepens you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you've lost a parent, then you can minister to other people who've lost parents. And and even just anybody in pain, it, it gives you an, an idea of what someone else is going through. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm very grateful for her in my life. And the other parents I've met, who, like I said, who have gone through far more. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend whose daughter has had, oh my gosh, I think it's 80 something brain surgeries. Oh my we've gosh. even, we've not even had one. Right. So we can't even imagine what that's like having your daughter's life on the line over and over again, but it's made her an amazing person. So crazy. I'm grateful yeah. for what God has done in, in the little things that we've put up with. My daughter has limited language and that can lead to somewhat interesting behaviors when she's frustrated. Sure. She likes to throw things, you know, sometimes <laughs> in a restaurant one. One time a fork went flying through the air, and I, I cringed. I was afraid to look about where it landed. Right. I prayed it wasn't in somebody's dish or in their head, for heaven's sake. <laughs> she threw a glass of water at Panera the other day. Um, oh, boy. Out of frustration because sure. I wasn't understanding. She speaks, but it's not as distinct as we would like. And uh, she gets frustrated. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes me look like a bad parent sometimes. And uh, 
So it detaches me from my pride of yes. parenthood, pretty much, you know, Absolutely. just like a toddler does. But, you know, when they're 14, it's, you know, it can be a little bit more embarrassing. Well, yeah. And we all need that. We all need those things that detach us from our pride. And oh, yeah. the details are different for everybody. But I think God sure. does send those things our way to um, mm-hmm. help us along that path toward virtue, which is mm-hmm. not not an easy, smooth way. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, not, and very few of us would actually choose it. No, we would um, never. We're kind of dragged along <laughs> kicking and screaming. I know I was. I know. I know. And it's so it's so funny to me, though. But when, you, you know, the longer I live, the more I, you know, look back and I'm, I'm starting to have a little bit, a little tiny bit more perspective than I did in my younger years. And mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. see those times that I, I just fought and fought and fought. Just, you know, these trials that... Mm-hmm. Obviously, God had a plan there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I can see that now. Um, but it's hard to have that perspective in the moment when you're hurting. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. All right, Letitia, we're going to run out of time. So we got to get your lightning round in. Okay. Um, so this is just 60 seconds where we ask some fun, fast questions just to get to know our guests a little bit better on girlfriends. So if you're ready, we can get started. Go ahead. All right. It's Letitia Velasquez, lightning round on the Girlfriends Podcast. Letitia, what's your favorite way to hang out and connect with friends and family? All right. We love to have family dinners at our house. Nice. I'm looking forward to a neighborhood Christmas party. Ooh, so like I'm it. Italian. I love to be in the kitchen and cooking Food. with my friends. Food and family. All around. You bet. That's the best. All right. What has surprised you most about being a mom to a child with special needs? What surprised me most that it made me a public person. I didn't think that I would ever choose that, you know, in terms of being on podcasts and writing books and things like that. I just thought I would be so wrapped up in the challenges that I wouldn't have time for this. And and, and not only that, but I wouldn't be able to get out in public because, you know, there are times that I can't do things because my daughter's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's other times that God has given me amazing opportunities um, that I never, I would never have anticipated. Awesome. Okay. Um, when you get some time alone, rare, what guilty mm. pleasure do you indulge in, Letitia? Uh, well, does Facebook count as a guilty pleasure? I don't know. <laughs> yes, it does. It's very guilty sometimes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, then that's certainly, that's certainly it because um, I've been able to connect with people, um, special needs parents, pro-life, Catholic. Yeah. All my interests can be found there. Um, and yeah, sometimes I spend too long on it, especially this time of year. I definitely do. Wonderful. Well, you survived. That was it. See, I told you that wasn't oh, going to be too rough. Not so bad. And we got some um, a little more insight into uh, what Letitia knows and loves and enjoys in her life. So, um, Letitia, before we say goodbye, though, I want to give you a chance to give a shout out to something. What are you working on right now? What new projects are you excited about, in, either in your personal life or, or professionally speaking? A person life, I'm running a crisis pregnancy center as a volunteer in inner city Hartford. And we're moving wow. to a new location and I'm very excited about that. We're going to be right next to an abortion clinic and offering moms hope as wow. they, um, 60% of moms walking into that a clinic don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So we're able to offer them hope. And I'm, I'm writing a novel. I'm about halfway through it and, um, it's, I consider it a pro-life novel. So mm-hmm. that should be a very interesting, um, when I finally get it done, yeah. In between being in being a mom, can't wait to read it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you're doing all of that, and thank you so much for taking the time to share with us here on Girlfriends. And thank you for all that you do, speaking for families, for moms, for children, for people in the pro life movement. I mean, you're you're such an inspiration with all that you do. Your tireless work on behalf of people who don't necessarily have a voice in today's world. So I'm so grateful to you for that. 
Thank you, Danielle, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Letitia Velasquez, check out the links on the Girlfriends podcast show notes. And believe it or not, we've run out of time for this show. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. On this show where we're reminding ourselves to count our blessings, I want to be sure to thank you for being a part of what we do here at Girlfriends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending me your thoughts and your questions and feedback. Thanks for linking to the show on Facebook and Twitter. I appreciate those of you who do that on social media. Thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews at iTunes. And thank you also for your support at patreon.com. All of these things are small but powerful ways that you inspire and you encourage me every week to keep on producing this podcast, letting me know that you find value in what we do here. I'm so grateful for your participation and for your presence. Thank you for the trust that I know you put in me by giving me just a little bit of your time each week. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a Danielle Bean production. Know your worth. Find your joy.